they ought to be a little less afraid to, to sell. And I think sales ought to be a little less afraid to market. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today we're talking about how sales professionals are entering a new era where they need to blur the lines between traditional marketing and sales responsibilities in order to remain effective, relevant, continue to drive value and engage prospects and buyers in an optimal way. It's not really a new concept. It's just become even more critical today due to the way that individuals want to be engaged with. To lead us through the discussion, we have Carmen Perry, principal at Kula Partners. Carmen, thank you so much for taking time and welcome to the show. You know, Chad, it's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. So before we start, we like to, before we jump into the topic, we like to start with a kind of an oddball question just to get a better sense of you as an individual. And so let's do, uh, looking back over your career, can you tell us about a defining moment or an event that provided insights uh, or lessons that you continue to leverage today or perhaps change the, the direction of your career? Okay. Well, you know, I'm going to say, um, uh, this may be a little odd. So I I live in Canada and, um, when I was 23, so for perspective, I'm going to turn 44 this year. So when I was 23, I ran to become a member of the legislative assembly in my home district where I grew up. So that would be kind of like a state representative, I suppose, for those, uh, tuning in from the U S. And I, I think that just that it was incredibly defining. I mean, I did that just coming out of university and you know, you're really, you find yourself going door to door with nothing to sell but yourself. Right. <laughs> and, and you know, uh, you can't sell on price. <laughs> right? No, you're um, definitely not selling on price. And, uh, so it, it really forces you to be able to think on your feet and, um, understand and listen to what you're hearing from that particular potential voter. And then, you know, how do you kind of take that and bend that and, and, and feed that back to them in a way that, you know, they can feel they can connect with you as a, as a politician. And man, like the, I spent six months doing that for 12 hours a day, uh, knocking on doors selling myself, getting invited in for coffee or whiskey and getting turned away and had, having dogs sicked on me, you know? <laughs> uh, and, uh, but it just, it, it really did uh, inform a lot about my view of sales. And it really, it's hard for me to uh, put up with many of the objections I hear for, from salespeople about not wanting to do cold calling. <laughs> uh, I'm with you. I, I have a limited amount of patience for that. So, and beyond that, I would say it's gave me a lot of perspective. Uh, you know, um, I, I entered homes and asked for the votes of people who had uh, mud floors in their kitchens uh, at the same time as you knocked on doors of uh, very wealthy people, and that uh, that just gives you a lens of perspective. Amazing experience, right? Great foundation. So let's talk about kind of little context around Kula Partners and in your role there. 
Yeah, we're, we're an agency that uh, helps leading B2B manufacturers craft digital experiences that transform how they engage buyers and serve customers and really outpace their competition online. So, Chad, that's our um, that's what we do every day. And uh, in, in my work here really is uh, just to lead the team largely, I find, by staying out of their way. <laughs> so that's my job. <laughs> it takes takes someone very uh, comfortable in their own skin to be to be able to admit that sometimes they can be a blocker. <laughs> uh, look, I, I think uh, a lot about uh, leadership I have found is about doing less, not more. But uh, maybe that's a subject for another podcast. <laughs> so as we were getting ready for this, uh, we wanted to focus on you know the blurring lines between sales and marketing. So why this focus? Why is it something that you're so passionate about? Well, really, it's interesting because we talk a lot in the world of marketing and we have, I mean, I've been in marketing now, well, since uh, since that formative door-to-door days uh, 21 years ago, I guess. I've been doing marketing for a long time. And... And but but if we think about what we've wanted to deliver as organizations, there's all this talk about seamless customer experience and wanting to, uh, you know, you always hear this word seamless, but yet we create these seams in our organization, these separations between sales and marketing. It just didn't they don't seem doesn't seem to be congruent with me to to delivering anything resembling a seamless CX. Now. <laughs> Moving beyond that, I feel like the game changed really completely once um, marketers became responsible for lead gen. I mean, it used to be in the old days of sales, the salespeople came up with the leads that they were going to actually sell into in some way, shape, or form. The marketers kind of, I don't know, almost like did the window dressing and made the arrangements and the salespeople made the <laughs> But now, you know, marketers know that their butts on the line for leads and um, and the quality of those leads and that ongoing challenge and conversation going on. So I just think that 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 really means that you know you can't be having sales and marketing can't be operating in a silo. It doesn't work for today's technology. It doesn't work for today's buyers, and it doesn't work for what we want to do as organizations in terms of delivering the seamless CX. And then lastly, I would say. The drive, and this is largely driven by digital, uh, just technology enablements in the process, is mo- the moving more and more and more towards inside sales or organizations, inside sales processes, of course, lend themselves to more um, digitally crafted experiences, which force us to think about marketing and sales as a more fulsome whole. Well, and it re- I mean, you hit you hit on a, a very a- topic near and dear to my heart, the CX of it, right? I spent, before I started doing what I'm doing now, I spent 10 years in the digital agency space. And so the watching as the CX projects that we would do from, you know, making eBay's mobile apps simpler to use more, um, more engaging, quote unquote, to drive up the number of dollars that went through it by creating an experience that, uh, that kept attention longer by giving people what they wanted, how they want it, where they want, want it on their terms has now changed the expectation of the B2B buyers. They want that same type of thing. And I think this blending of sales and marketing, it's not, I mean, I think it's something, it's a nut we've been trying to crack in sales and marketing for a long time. I don't think we have a choice but to crack it now or, or people are going to vote with their wallets in other places. Yeah, I think that's quite true. And I, and I think, and we'll perhaps get into this a little bit later in the discussion, but I think oftentimes some of the things that are, that work better are some more marketing forward approaches. I think in some ways, some of the, the legacy of old school sales performance, uh, you know, it's just not working the way it used to. And maybe that's uh, going to drive the change as well. 
Absolutely. It's, uh, it's requiring a diversification or blending of skill sets that I've seen certain individuals, uh, struggle with. It's, uh, it's not, it's not a huge shift, at least not from, I mean, not from my perspective. I started my career in marketing and then went to being a quota carrying rep and then building teams and so on and so forth. So for me, it's always kind of been there, but, but when you see the, the reps, the, the sales professionals that uh, are completely focused only on the discipline of sales and they have a very narrow view of what that means, they have a tendency to struggle. I, I see them struggling on a regular basis and I see management struggling to coach them effectively. Yeah. I mean, those are the people that very often, you know, when you ask them what they do, they won't tell you. <laughs> all wrapped in mystery. Yeah. Um, you know, and, uh, they want to just, uh, you know, they act like it's a, um, like it's a mystical thing. Uh, and that it's all relationships and you just couldn't possibly understand it. Dear marketer. <laughs> of course the smart, uh, salespeople are, um, are, are not, are, you know, are not that way. Absolutely. And so with, with sales professionals inside of a normal, like hierarchical structure, roles and responsibilities, siloed organizations, and many of them still exist. It's a mindset, mindset shift. And I'm curious, how, how do you recommend or how have you been effective in helping your own teams kind of adjust that mindset into more of a hybridization? So where that blending of that, traditional roles and responsibilities forms as kind of a new whole. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I mean, I, I think I just step one, one step back. If we look at just targeting an account, generally speaking, we could do this at a lot of different ways and, uh, and we could, we could approach this in, in a lot of different ways. But if you're, if, if you're in a modern account based marketing approach, we like to take this HESO approach. It's H-E-S-O is the acronym that we use. H stands for halo. So there's a bunch of things that you can do as a marketing organization to create a halo around the accounts that you want to target. But then the others really speak to what levels of connectivity can you build in the organization? Once at the executive level, so E stands for executive. So what, what happens, um, you know, what we find often in, for instance, in the, in the midsize B2B manufacturing, an awful lot of those are family owned companies still like sixth generation, uh, fourth generation or what have you, family owned companies that are selling to each other. Well, the one thing that kind of commonality that they actually have at the executive level is that, and that can often be a way in to get these companies talking to each other that has nothing to do with the salesperson. But of course, the S does stand for sales. We, we know that sales plays a very important role here, but then the O stands for operations. In the operational level of the organization, can, can we get engineers talking to engineers, for example, and use that as a way of introducing the salespeople into the conversation? So when I think about that question about what's a change of mindset, that needs to happen. I really think it's one of the salesperson needs to think of themselves as the conductor of a sales symphony in some way versus playing a solo. Like if we could just get them thinking that, I feel that salespeople would be more successful. They could orchestrate what's happening at that halo level in working with their marketing teams. They could also orchestrate what's happening at that executive and operations level and then make sure that they're introduced into the process at the right time. And so when you, and I love that, that he's so acronym. I um, haven't heard that before. And so when, when a sales rep does that, in order to do that, like a, t- a true team based sale, uh, and do an account based marketing or account based sales blitz, it requires a great level of coordination. Let's say working with roles that typically 
historically, let's say, had dis, had disdain for each other, right? And we still run into this in some organizations. You'll hear marketing, oh, they're in sales or sales and marketing or, or engineers. I don't want anything to do with sales. Um, is this proliferation? Is it more than just the blending of sales and marketing, but the proliferation of, of personalization people are expecting and the need to have multiple individuals involved in order to ensure uh, you can provide that personalization across an account? Uh, you know, I don't, I mean, yeah, the personalization requirement maybe drives some of it a bit. I, I mean, I mean, obviously that's a component of it, but even focusing on, on an individual to the extent that you focus on the industry that they work in is still applicable and is still not done by so many poor marketers and salespeople, <laughs> right? Like, like the bar can be pretty low. And I find too, it's interesting. Um, I also host a, a podcast uh, called the, the Cooler Ring. And when I interview manufacturing marketers, I've often suggested that uh, there can be a tense relationship between marketing and sales. But I'm so often told I'm wrong by those guests. I think maybe I'm projecting too much or something. There's too much of my past reference criteria. <laughs> me because I feel like, like the marketers out there are thirsty for it. The salespeople don't need to have this massively wonderful integrated whole of an organization to start down this path. I think the salespeople, if you are interested in this and you want to start selling in a modern way, go find somebody in your marketing department that wants to talk to you. Chances are they just love a salesperson that would actually talk to them about this in a meaningful way. <laughs> uh, and, and, and and beyond that, I think, yeah, so I, I don't, I don't know. I, I kind of question how much the organizational barriers really exist or if they're just human barriers and, 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 uh, initiative barriers, maybe. I think the initiative barrier is a big one. I mean, if you, and I, I can agree, I agree with, you can see people who really want, who are really bought in, who bought into the mission of the organization, whatever it may be, or want to be successful that, that understand that they are involved in a discipline, right? And you don't, you don't master discipline by sitting around. You have to apply best practices. You have to do the work, right? There's no substitute for that. Once they figure that out, um, I can see them driving greater alignment. I wonder, have you seen, I've run into it a couple of times, but not enough. So I'd love to get your perspective. Do you see sales professionals that have been around a little bit longer? Let's not say, let's, let's not say maybe as long as you and me, but because <laughs> we're about the same age, um, but that have been doing it five, 10 years that, that are now experiencing this shift to more account-based sales and marketing as kind of the primary way we go to market. Um, do you find that they feel threatened? Are sales reps uh, uncomfortable or do they, are you seeing them embrace the opportunity and what, what these changes may mean? I think the extent to which they're uncomfortable or embrace it has a lot to do with how it's rolled out and managed, of course. Because I, I, I feel like the reps that fit that definition that you're talking about, in many cases, like a large percentage of them are, you know, they're very active in social selling already. They're trying to connect with people on LinkedIn and, and they're maybe using those tools in a bit more of a blunt way than marketers think they ought to be used. Right. Uh, sometimes marketers would do well to get out of their own way and sell a little bit every once in a while, rather than think that everything has to be so nuanced and drawn out. Like it's not a, it's not a bad four letter word to say you want to have a sales conversation with somebody, you know? Um, and for some reason, marketers sometimes get that in their head. I don't know why. Uh, so yeah, I don't know where we got off on a tangent there, 
complaining about marketers. They're lovely people, don't get me. <laughs> um, but the, just the, you know, sometimes I think they ought to be a little less afraid to, to sell. And I think sales ought to be a little less afraid to market. And uh, a great way to meet in the middle there is for sales to tell marketing what, about the questions that they have that come up in the sales process that aren't related to price, please. Right. And then ask for marketing to find creative ways to answer those questions. Yeah, it can be a great synergy when the organizations work well together. The results are, uh, they, at least in my experience, have far surpassed anything where, where those silos exist and the walls are, are too tall to cross, so to speak. I think there are plenty of stats out there uh, of folks who sell marketing and sales alignment that would probably uh, agree with what you just said. <laughs> and so when, when we're talking about, you know, you touched on personalization, what are you seeing from a, you know, a prospecting from an account based marketing and sales when they come together like that? And so we, let's say we identify, I don't know, I don't know, I'll just pick FedEx because I noticed that they kicked Amazon out. So if I was trying to go after FedEx, it was an account I'm not in. What have you seen be the most effective approaches that leverage both of those, you know, disciplines? Man, I don't know that there's like, like one magic bullet that I can say, like every time I've seen this, you know, this applied, it works, right? <laughs> um, if there was one silver bullet, we'd both be retired. Yeah, yeah. We'd probably be able to charge a lot of money for this one episode of your podcast and then we could just simply retire. <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. But, but I would say this. I think you can start off with... Because um, sometimes the creation of content itself, the more personalized to the individual content creation gets, the more expensive that becomes. Yes. Um, so, you know, I, I think in, in a wide variety of, of, of ABM scenarios, you can start with a core piece of content, be it a white paper or what have you, that is more just industry focused, but not overly personalized to the particular corporate entity or what have you. And then you can begin to make that level of customization in your email and phone outreach or what have you as you're trying to prospect into that account. You can be connecting uh, something that you read about them, about their experience on LinkedIn or about something they may have posted or what have you and use that in your reference into them. But then have that kind of more standard industry uh, content in uh, as part of the program and, and a conversion asset to use. So I, I find that you know, that kind of the blend is often the kind of the sweet spot for people to start. Of course, in other scenarios, we work with companies who, who, who frankly, I mean, there's the, 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 the value of the sale and the lifetime value of customer is so significant that they're willing to spend, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on a single account research where we're, you know, we're identifying eight, 10 people within that account that are likely to touch the sale and then doing literally personal background research on each one of those individuals, finding out what sports teams they like and on and on and on. So you could get quite exhaustive in that process. And then, I mean, the, the more detailed you have, that, you know, the more data that you have and the more detailed it is, the, your options for what to do with it are, uh, grow exponentially, of course. Yeah, it can get quite pricey. I mean, that's a tens of thousands of dollars on one account, man. Well, you better hope that thing converts. Yeah. <laughs> that was an interesting assignment. We actually started an ABM program with this account and there were two 
new prospects if they had us research to that level and two additional prospects in this pilot that were actually already engaged with their sales organization for over nine months and they still wanted that level of account detail. Wow. But we're also call, talking about a, a, you know, a, a sale that would be uh, several million per year, likely over a, you know, a, a seven to 10 year contract. So. Okay. I mean, it's, it, some of it will depend on your, you know, what's your average transaction size? What is your average sales? Like, I mean, all these things have to be. Always. That's why I was suggesting for the vast majority of people tackling this, that's why they're probably going to invest in a lighter level of contact research, uh, make that level of personalization a little bit more of a, a quick, uh, a quick hit, you know, you quickly check out their social profile or something just before you send them a message versus, you know, exhaustive family tree <laughs> you know, research. <laughs> uh, and then uh, that core conversion asset could be more industry specific or whatever. And act of doing what I just said there puts you in like the top fifth percentile or something. You know what I mean? You're, you're there's not a lot of people doing more than that. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think sometimes the org, you know, even marketing can get in their own way. It's almost analysis paralysis to some extent, like how, like the, the line, that sweet spot is often ill-defined in an organization. So I've seen, I've seen marketing teams spend a great deal of time creating content, but it's all about them. Like it's, it's all, I don't want to say features and benefits, but it's, it's about them, not about the individual and where they are in their buying process or, or where they are in that prospecting process or, or whatever it is. And lots, a great deal of money it can get spent on that to little to no effect where it feels to me like if they're being more agile, if we're being more agile and we're being more honest and we don't go too deep, we don't get lost in the woods, the sweet spot that you defined, I think is probably the best way I've heard it put uh, and should be helpful for many people out there trying to figure this out. Well, and, and, and as you're creating that piece of industry focused content, you know, like sales and marketing, get in the same room together or even ideally get the marketer to go on some sales calls and get inside that skin a little bit and understand some of the, you know, that way you're not creating. It's hard to create content for, for something that you have never been a part of in some way, right? right. You know, there, that's why I think in some ways marketers find themselves challenged to create relevant content for their sales teams that they're just so disconnected from what that process even remotely looks like. They haven't felt it or lived it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So let's change direction here a little bit. We ask all of our guests kind of two standard questions at the end of each interview. The first is as a principal, as a, an executive, that makes you dun, 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 a prospect for many people out there. So always interested in hearing when somebody doesn't have a relationship with you, when they don't have a referral in, what do you for yourself find to be the most effective way for individuals to earn the right to have 15, 20, 30 minutes on your calendar? You know, I admit it, it's probably, um, you know, I'll still, I, I, like, I look at it in email when it comes in. I don't, I mean, there are these people that just ignore emails, I guess. Um, but I'm not one of them. I'll, I'll see an email and I'll make a pretty quick determination of whether or not it's relevant. And for me, the approach that always works is frankly, when somebody acts like they, they know they have value and they don't much care if I care or not. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's really weird when, when, when you can tell when it comes across like I've got this really cool thing. It works in these particular situations. And if that works for you, we should probably chat. And if you're not in that situation, then I don't care. Um, 
<laughs> I, I, I don't know. I find there's a certain honesty in that that I just like, ah, okay, well, and then I'll at least uh, have, and, and, I don't know. And usually that, that, that type of outreach I find tends to come from people that are a bit more senior in the organization. Gotcha. So you're likely to get that kind of an email outreach from a CEO than you are from a sales rep. And I wonder if that's, I wonder if it's a confidence thing or, or is it a, is it fear? I mean, at the CEO level, yeah, you know, we obviously have to have a certain level of confidence. Sales reps, is it because they, they don't want to run the risk of burning a bridge or killing an account or is it lack of confidence or is it fear of, of result repercussion? Hmm. Hmm. I mean, I don't know the answer. I'm just I don't know. No, I think it must be the. I feel it feels to me like that is a lack of confidence. I mean, I think if we, I guess if I try to to think of myself and uh, be self aware for for a moment and and hit rewind a bit, you know, we've all probably maybe been in times when we try to be a little bit verbose or talk around something because we don't feel quite comfortable or we feel like we're maybe outmatched by the person we're connecting with in some way. I don't know what it is, but, and then as you get, you know, your feet under you in your career and you get more experience, you get more comfortable with being direct and you understand uh, that what you're doing is about creating value for another business entity, not about some sort of weird kind of third sales game or something like, I don't know. We kind of abstract things, <laughs> you know? So I, yeah, uh, I, I hope that helps. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, that's great. It's great. It's an, it's, you know, it's just an interesting conversation. The people that, um, and I have found the people that's, that, that I kind of am, am attracted to in the sales process. This is going to sound like an, maybe an of course thing, but you know, it's t- those times when it feels like they have my office bugged. Like I share an office with my business partner, right? <laughs> so uh, it's almost like, you know, you're owning a pet and then eventually you start looking like your dog because you spend so much time together. <laughs> well, my business partner and I are like that. But nevertheless, so we're, we're, we're in the office all the time together. So we're always in conversation about things. And there are a couple of people who we've consultants that we've worked with who have either written a piece, uh, even a piece of email marketing outreach or something like that. That's more even broad, right? Not, not targeted to us specifically. But when you read it, it sounds like they had your office bugged. Like they're dealing with the, that they're so, in, uh, uh, so focused in who they serve and they know the problems that you have so intimately that they can speak to it in a way that it, it spooks you almost a bit. For instance, in an agency land, you're, I mean, every agency out there is asked, uh, always asks themselves at some point about the ideal way to uh, service an account. What is the structure that works best, et cetera. So when an agency consultant shows up, posting articles about, well, when you're at this size, this is how you ought to service accounts. And when you reach this certain size and you need to shift to this kind of an arrangement and on and on, and this is what's worked <laughs> with the last thousand people that I've worked with, man, that's relevant. Like that hits the nail on the head. He, you know, that person doesn't need to, to know my, my mother's maiden name or what, what dog I, uh, what my dog breed is or uh, what sports team I cheer for in order to break through they're so damned relevant to what I do that right. it's going to break through. Love it. Love it. All right. Last question. We call it our acceleration insight. There's one thing you could tell sales marketing or professional service people, one piece of advice that if they listened, you believe would help them hit their targets or achieve their goals. What would it be and why? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm going to say marketing forward sales approaches will absolutely change your cold call prospecting. 
And what I mean by that is if you're calling up people asking for a sales meeting, you're going to get a certain level of uptake as a salesperson. But if you're contacting people uh, looking to collaborate on uh, creating a piece of content, uh, maybe you're reaching out some, to somebody to be a guest on your podcast or what have you. There are lots of different ways to do it. But uh, those more marketing forward approaches can 4x, 5x, 8x, maybe 10x your response rate in cold call prospecting. So provide them value, provide them value, give them a reason to engage. Well, and it's not even so much providing them value as, as it's actually asking them to create something with you. And and that, like, help, like actually reaching out to your prospects and asking them to help you create marketing. <laughs> and then as they help you create marketing, then you build a relationship with them that you can then have a sales conversation. Love it. I love it. Perfect. So, all right. If a listener's interested in talking to you or engaging um, Kula, what's the, which, where do you prefer they go? Is there a certain way or you want them to reach out? Absolutely. The best way is just go to kulapartners.com, K-U-L-A partners, all one word, .com, and uh, just go from there. As a, a largely digital agency, if, uh, if we can't capture attention from that point and direct you where you need to go, then we're not doing our job. <laughs> I love it, Carmen. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for being on the show today. Chad, thanks so much. All right, everybody that does it for this episode, you know the drill, b2brevexec.com, share the episode, drop us a review. And until next time, we have Value Selling Associates, wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.